Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. It's good to see you. Uh, each week, it's fun to see there's people who are, are back for the first time in a while, and we're so grateful. Uh, we, I know Richard has mentioned many times, like, it was the band and a few pastors in here for what felt like forever. And so uh, a couple times I preached to an empty room, and I would just uh, so rather preach multiple times to a few people than like just the band. No offense to the band and the, the tech folks, but it's so good to be back together. We need each other. And so uh, we're just praying for continued health and safety as we gather. Uh, welcome those of you online as well. We're so grateful that you're joining us. Uh, my name is Eric Henderson. I'm the senior associate pastor here at Bethany Greenlake, and it's just such a joy every time I get to really clear my schedule for an entire week uh, to build a sermon, to relearn this thing that I know God is calling me to do, and yet it's so challenging. So it's it's a privilege to be uh, together uh, as we worship today. So uh, we're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit that's laid out for us by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you're new to church or you need a, a refresher, the fruit of the Spirit is, is basically the character of Jesus. And so if, if we, uh, we believe that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. And so if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. If we want to know what a godly life looks like, we look at Jesus. If we want to know uh, who and what it is that God is transforming those of us who follow uh, Jesus into, uh, God into, we look at the life of Jesus. And so we believe that God through his spirit is, as scripture says, transforming each of us uh, little by little. And sometimes, man, it just feels like how... How little is little, but we're being transformed little by little into the image of Jesus, amen? So just as we look at Jesus' life and we can see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. By the way, my shirt says be kind, but I covered it up because it's gentleness today. There was uh, some controversy among the staff and those online at the 8 a.m. Like people just couldn't listen because they were like, what does it say? They're like trying to cipher. Uh, so lots of great guesses. Uh, some people thought it said be safe, which will make sense later. But it just says be kind. This is a message to myself when I look in a mirror. Uh, but we look, we see these fruits of the spirit, gentleness, self-control. Uh, so should we see this in one another as we see it in Jesus. It's important to note at the outset here, this isn't like a grab bag. And so if you're naturally kind of kind, you go, I got one, I'm batting one for nine, that's decent. Uh, no, this is, Paul did not have a Greek word broad enough in meaning to, to, to develop, to unpack the full character of Jesus. And, and, and so we have each of these fruits because of that. One scholar put it this way, Paul gives us a list of words that circle around the character of a spirit-filled life that he's trying to describe. The fruit of the spirit then is a singular fruit that tastes, if you will, like love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're familiar with Willy Wonka, it's like an everlasting gobstopper. One, one fruit, many flavors, just layers of meaning. And we, of course, broke them up for this series. Jeremy Fancher, our graphic designer, had a ton of fun graphically putting these things together. You notice the little fruit stickers. Uh, we heard from like someone that's in, in like the grocery industry that was a little disappointed that the little digit codes weren't accurate. And how cool, 
would it have been if we could have gone that far? But we are just having fun with this stuff. Uh, I heard there's some sticker sheets that got printed that hopefully we can distribute that have each of these. Um, so we want to help uh, recognize the nuances and fullness of the character of Jesus that the Spirit of God is making visible in our lives. We believe this. Now, if you've ever gotten into wine, which, uh, kids, it's not good. Um, I have not gotten into wine, which will be evidence as I talk about this. Um, but if you've ever been wine tasting, you may start out like, ooh, this one's a red wine. Like, yes, you can see the color. <laughs> this is a white wine. Nailed it, right? Um, so then you, you begin to understand. I went to this like wine thing one time at Total Wine. I don't know if a pastor can do that, but you pay it and you learned all these things. Uh, and, and, you know, you develop this kind of snooty accent. Like this is a, this Shiraz is bold and full-bodied with aromatic notes of smoke. That's because wildfires are decimating wine country <laughs> consistently. But now we're actually selling based off of that, I think black fruit and pepper spice. Or this is not a champagne, this is a sparkling wine because it does not come from the champagne region of France. Who knew? I didn't know and I don't really care. Um, <laughs> but you learn to sort of swirl it around and smell it first. Like you don't just dive right in because it's, it's not just a drink, it's an experience, right? There's a lot to miss. So people say if you just uncork, pour and drink. The same is true of the fruit of the Spirit. So today we want to consider the nature of gentleness. And gentleness isn't getting a lot of, of, of airtime these days. Like when was the last time you read a social media post that it was just full of, of, of honor toward the other side of an issue where you could tell the person uh, desiring to persuade others had really taken time to learn and know the opposing viewpoint and had an awareness that their opposition are real people with stories, with viewpoints, with also with de desires to flourish. And of course, there are billion-dollar industries, including news and entertainment outlets that are built on peddling fear, anger, and even hatred toward the other side, whatever side that is. In fact, I was listening to a podcast recently, and a guest suggested that we should pay attention to who we find ourselves hating, because somebody spent a lot of money getting you to hate that person or that group. It's a powerful, powerful thought for me to consider. The fear, distrust, and, and, and hatred of the other is unfortunately good for business. And it's all of us who are the ones that are consistently footing the bill. Consider how people with opposing viewpoints on, on politics and race and justice, sexuality, masks and vaccines, how they treat one another. Whatever gentleness means to you in this moment, can we uh, agree that it's not valued in our public discourse? Smugness, yes. Sarcasm, yes. Scoring cheap points based on caricatures of another's perspective or way of life, absolutely. We can win these arguments, but when we win, do you know we actually lose? It's like a fight in a marriage or within your family. If you won, Husbands, yeah, you lost. I think wives can still win usually. <laughs> but the hallways in our homes are not wide enough for us to avoid one another for very long. And certainly our Thanksgiving tables are, are not big enough to avoid bumping elbows and eye contact. And certainly Thanksgiving comes every year. So eventually we're gonna need to ask somebody to pass the salt. And gentleness understands that 
Not only were we made for community and connection, but that the 8 billion of us that live on what Carl Sagan called the pale blue dot, planet Earth, have nowhere else to go. The history of the world shows us that we've tried the way of force. We've tried the way of isolation. We've tried the way of you do you and I'll do me, except when how I'm doing me interferes with how you're doing you. And then we realize that that too does not actually work. Look where it's gotten us. Jesus is inviting us to a different way, the way of gentleness. And it may not be what we think. So this is our point of teaching for today, that in today's world, being gentle is not something we often aspire to, unless we're holding a baby or we're trying to deliver some criticism, or maybe we are needing to fire someone without an incident. However, a closer look at gentleness in the Bible should have us all rushing out to get Proutus tattooed on our forearms. I'll explain that in a minute, but first let's pray. God, we thank you for meeting us here. And as we meet, we're just aware of a brokenness in our world and some of these top line things that I'm just so aware of today are uh, wildfires, as as I mentioned, uh, continuing to burn. We can see it and smell it in the air. We thank you for uh, first responders that continue to run toward danger. Would you be with them today? We, uh, we just ask that you would bless those that are in the midst of incredible loss and devastation, hard decisions to make. God, we're mindful of the earthquake in Haiti. Um, God, we, we just ask that you would uh, bring comfort and healing, that you would ignite the international community to come and support uh, these already vulnerable uh, people in the midst of just incredible catastrophe. And God, and then we also pray for Afghanistan as this country that has been in turmoil continues to be in turmoil. Uh, God, we don't always understand the, the politics of it all. And yet we know that where uh, suffering people are, you are right in the center. And so as we gather very safely within these walls and online, um, God, give us a sense of, of our part in the story uh, and help us in these moments to focus on what you have to say. Uh, your, your gentleness, Lord, we love you. Your name, amen. Well, for the next few minutes together, we're gonna answer these questions. What is gentleness? What does it look like in Jesus' life? And what might it look like in your life? So we'll start at the top. What is gentleness? Now, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. So for the dads in the room, you can say, it's all Greek to me. Uh, you can legitimately say that. No one will laugh, but that isn't why dads tell these jokes. The Greek word for gentleness is proutis. That's in the noun, or praus is the adjective. And the simplest meaning is strength under control. I did not know that previous uh, to preparing this message uh, this week. God is forming me one sermon at a time, praise the Lord. Strength under control. So immediately, any part of the concept of, of gentleness in our Western context that brings to mind images of, of gentleness as being soft or weak or a doormat for people to walk on, this is not what God has in mind. Gentleness is strength, but it's strength under control. I'll give you an example. Horses. And again, I don't know anything about horses, <laughs> but I didn't let it stop me earlier. Uh, there are wild horses and there are broken horses. We may kind of, this is the white and red wine of the horse world. Uh, you've probably seen an example of this in a, in a TV show or a movie. 
right? Uh, a wild horse. So I saw this in the show Yellowstone that I briefly watched. The son gets a, a new horse and, and brings it into the pen and it's wild, it's dangerous, it's, it's bucking. And then through some training and some man-beast rapport building, this is what I call it, the horse is finally under control and able to be useful. So say you have a wild horse and a, and a, and a broken horse, which is stronger? They actually have the same strength. The difference is that the broken or tamed horse has been trained to keep their strength under control. In ancient times, horses were trained to be meek. The word for meek is also proutus. So then meekness is not weakness. A meek horse is a strong horse. And not only is it strong, but it's useful because it's obedient. This meekness, gentleness, proutus is submission without resistance. And I know we don't like submission, but friends, this is central uh, to the Christian life. We're in the wrong place if we're not willing to submit. The meekness is seeing everything as coming from God and accepting it without murmuring and without disputing, patiently submitting to any and every offense. Offense. This is doubly hard for us because if there's anything we're good at these days, in my opinion, it's being offended. I walk around all the time with my kind of offense antennae up. Maybe this is you too, just looking for it. Oh, did you see that? Did you hear what he said? Did you see what they did to me? And Christian groups are like, who are we boycotting next? We take offense at little things. We take offense at big things. I hesitate to even give examples because I might trigger us and then we won't be able to hear what God wants to say to us about gentleness. We'll all light our torches and follow Gaston to the castle to kill the beast. Let me say this. I believe that followers of Jesus should be the most unoffendable people on the planet because Jesus bore every offense on the cross, paying for each of them as we sang with his life. And the scriptures are full of reminders of this, like 1 John 2, 2, that tell us that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of others. And we love our sins being forgiven, but we often want others to pay for their sins. But gentleness doesn't, doesn't re-crucify and demand payment for that which Jesus already paid for. John the Baptist, before Jesus was on the cross, said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' blood covered all offense. So we don't need to walk around looking to be offended. Instead, we can each standing in his grace, offer grace to those around us like it's going out of style. Instead of offense receptors, we can be grace dispensers, right? That was like, I should have done a fill in the blank just for that one. That was a Wednesday morning, nice and early. Well, I felt great about that. So thank you for <laughs> acknowledging it. We can have confidence in and patience toward God making all things right. This doesn't mean that we don't point out injustice in the world and stand against it. Certainly we must do that and we'll consider how Jesus did that in a few minutes here. But we don't need to take matters into our own hands. Instead, we stay locked on to the Father's will, confident in his victory. Gentleness then is ultimately about faith. It's about trusting God to win the battle in the end instead of going to extremes to win the battle on our own terms. It's a refusal to take control by brute force or manipulation. 
The passage that Jonathan read for us was Galatians 5, but from the message translation, and in it, Eugene Peterson brought out the meaning of gentleness in a beautiful way, describing it as not needing to force our way in life. I was at Dick's Burgers the other day, and a man in front of me, uh, just very grumpily in all of his uh, demeanor, walks up to the window when it was his turn, and he says, I have a suggestion. And he has to kind of, you know, announce it because there's like the glass. And so the guy kind of bends down to hear him and, and, and asks what it is. And, and this grumpy man proceeds to chastise this fine burger establishment for opening a new line down at the end rather than in the middle where the long lines were. And I assume that this guy was at the end of one of these lines in the middle. And so, or in the middle of it, whatever. And then with kind of training manual author precision, uh, he lays out the proper protocol. Mind you, he's a customer. He doesn't work here uh, for opening a new line because this is in his area of expertise now. I, I thought he was gonna pull out a chalkboard and like draw a diagram. And he apparently had a few extra minutes to come up with all this because in his own words, he was upset because people cut him in line. And it had been a while as a grown man since I had kind of complained about people cutting me in line. <laughs> uh, but so the guy taking his order semi-patiently listened to this man. It's kind of a while, like he's got a line to get through. Uh, and then he says, I don't follow what can I get you? <laughs> Which was great because at this point, this man had a choice. He could give up or he could double down. Well, he doubled down. He, he tried again to articulate this grievance and he spoke louder as if maybe like the, the barrier was the issue. Um, and then he, you know, at some point got frustrated and very loudly with like a sweeping hand gesture says, oh, never mind. And then uh, he orders his food. He, he gets his food. And the guy helping him, I think very genuinely said, have a good day. And, and this guy equally very genuinely uh, says, I don't know how I can after what has happened to me, just happened to me, <laughs> and walks off. Are you kidding me? <laughs> So I got my food, and then I was, as I was driving away, I saw the man very intently walking back up toward the window, and I just kind of sinfully imagined him going, like, trying again. Uh, but I'm guessing that at some point, he might have realized that they opened the line down at the end in the name of social distancing, but I think he had forgotten that. Point is, we've all been there. This, this man is me. I get bent out of shape all the time about small things. Ask my wife and kids. If they were here, I'd invite them up one by one and they could just name the list of things I freaked out about yesterday. But the gentleness of Jesus is saying to each of us, somebody cut you in line? I love to serve the last first. When this happens, it's, it's not a bug. It's a feature. Like there's no glitch in the matrix. I meant it this way. This is the kingdom I'm setting up. Jesus says, read the parable of the workers in Matthew 20 later today. Jesus' kingdom is like this. And instead of complaining about fairness, we can instead say, God, thank you. God, thank you for this provision, for this vineyard, for this job, for this fine cheeseburger. 
I trust you that it's gonna work out. And I stand at the ready to use my strengths and gifts to work the field as you see fit. So gentleness is strength under control. Not strength bottled up waiting to explode when we're wronged, but strength bottled up for the master's use. And no one knew this and put this into place better than Jesus. So what did this look like in Jesus' life? There are many places in scripture where where Jesus' gentleness was on display. Scriptures are full of them. Certainly when when he welcomed children to come to him in in a culture where where in many ways children were unimportant. And then we absolutely see Jesus' strength under control when he was accused, arrested, beaten, hung on the cross. And we'll consider that in a moment as we receive communion together. But I wanna look at two stories where Jesus' gentleness was modeled for us. You can uh, turn in your Bible to John chapter 2, 13 to 17, or uh, follow along on the screen here. It says this, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, at first glance, this may seem like an odd passage to illustrate gentleness, but remember, it's not weakness. It's it's not passivity, rather, it's strength under control. Aristotle defined proutus, our word for gentleness, as the correct mean between being too angry and never being angry at all. It's the quality of the person whose anger is so controlled that they're always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. The next time someone asks, like, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? That's going to be my superpower. Properly timed anger, because it is currently the opposite of that. (laughs) It describes the person who's never angry at any personal wrong he may receive, but who is capable of righteous anger when they see others wronged. So two things I want us to notice about this story. The first, Jesus' intentionality. And the second, Jesus' real complaint. First, notice that Jesus made a whip out of cords. Now, to me, this eliminates the possibility that Jesus walked in and went all Rambo on the temple. Like, do you ever try to make something when you're mad? I can barely tie my shoes when I'm mad. And Jesus took time to like weave straw together or whatever this was. And scholars by the way, believe that this wasn't a super intimidating whip and it didn't need to be. It it had the force of heaven behind it. It was God's power on display. Jesus was not out of his mind in this moment. Like maybe he wrote the angry email, but he waited until the morning to send it. He was intentional in his actions and totally surrendered to God's will. In the same way, we need to be in our right mind when presented with a situation where we want to flip some tables. Second, notice what Jesus' real complaint was. This was the temple, much like this, a house of prayer. And among other things, Jesus' uh, distracted prayer was something worthy of Jesus' anger. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And we see that happening here in this passage. Verse 17 said that Jesus was consumed by zeal for the house of God, as was prophesied. 
A right relationship with God is the cornerstone of our lives and prayer and worship is central to that relationship. So Jesus comes in and says, this is a sanctuary, not a Fred Meyer. They sell everything. The point is, the gentle get angry, but at the right time about the right things. I wonder for you today, what might be leading, what might God be leading you to be angry about for the sake of his kingdom and others? What tables might Jesus want to flip in your life to restore your times of worship? The second story of Jesus' gentleness is found in John 8, verses 2 to 11 where it says, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Notice Jesus repeatedly bending down to write on the ground. This is surely not what anyone was expecting him to do, but it got everyone's attention and created this better way forward. I saw a story like this happen in my life a few years ago. Uh, some of us from the staff were walking down uh, Aurora here to PCC, and we had um, just uh, saw a woman drive by um, with the the gas tank like hose in her gas tank, but she's drive like those things break away. So we were like, "Wow, that was weird." And then about thirty seconds later, um, we're crossing in front of Tan Brothers, this restaurant right down here, and there's a a, a young man, a young woman. Uh, next to uh, a little scooter, like not a, like a 50, 49cc little Vespa type thing. And this woman grabs a helmet off of another bike and she's attempting to get on the other bike. And we realize like, oh, there's a crime in progress. Uh, and a man comes flying out of Tan Brothers, um, the owner of this helmet that is now being stolen. Uh, and he grabs this young woman who's now almost on the back of this little motorcycle thing and pulls her by her backpack onto the ground. Uh, this is also very alarming to see happen. And then in this thing, uh, Nick, who's leading worship today, he kind of uh, gets over between this guy and this woman who's now on the ground. And the man has picked up his helmet and he is about to commit a new crime. And so he's about to swing it when I step in in just a moment of awkwardness and clarity and yell this, everyone, let's be safe. <laughs> I have never uttered these words in my entire life, but it did the trick. And so the woman gets up 
And everybody like stops, like total frozen, like 90s sitcom, you know? They get on and drive off. The man says, uh, like starts yelling at me. And I say to him, like, what you are gonna do is a new crime. Like you're no longer defending yourself or your property. You're doing, you're committing a new felony or whatever. And so he says, thanks for nothing. And then puts his helmet back on his bike, which is funny to me that he didn't take it inside with him. (laughs) But he's done it a thousand times. So he puts it back on the bike, walks inside. And then we all just continue on to lunch, kind of silently, because we're like, what just happened? Um, But gentleness has a way of disarming a tense situation. Both Jesus bending down to ride on the ground and my suddenly becoming everyone's mom (laughs) changed the atmosphere. It spared violence. Wonder what tense situations might God be inviting you to disarm and point toward the better future. This is a few examples from Jesus' life. What might this look like in your life? What might this look like in my life? If you're like me, there's, there's no shortage of places in your life where you could choose gentleness and often do not. With your significant other, with your kids, with a coworker, on social media, in traffic. I just wanna close here before we share in communion together, thinking about how to cultivate gentleness in our lives. I wanna suggest there's some things we might need to restore and some things we might need to receive. Restore and receive. The concept of, of drift or, or drifting has been important to me for the last several years because the older I get and the more responsibilities I have as a, as a husband and father and leader, it caused me to find myself off course from time to time. And certainly the last 18 months for all of us trying to earn our first pandemic survival badge hasn't made things any easier. I'm not a, a boating guy, but you know, I'll keep talking about things I don't know about. (laughs) I mostly fear open water, actually. Uh, But one of the verses I often recite to myself when I feel this sense of drift is what Richard mentioned in that video earlier, Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. When a boat drops anchor, again, if I'm wrong here, just roll with it. It stops the drift. The, The captain can rest a while, can take their hand off the wheel, And followers of Jesus are anchored to hope in Jesus. And you don't have to be a sea captain to understand that an anchor, now we often think of this big rusty hook, but we forget about the chain connecting it. The chain's important because it connects us to the anchor. The default state of humans is to drift. And in fact, it's it's really easy to drift, that all we have to do to drift is nothing, nothing. And we all know people adrift without an anchor. Our city is full of them. And by God's grace as a church, we'll continue to introduce them to our anchor. But the risk for many of us listening today is that we have an anchor in Jesus, but we've neglected the links in the chain. There's no wireless anchors. It's not like Wi-Fi. They don't work over the air. They have to be connected. Theoretical anchors don't work. We have to have the actual links in the chain. And I want to suggest to us today that Christian practices are the links in the chain, keeping us anchored to hope in Christ. How many of you have felt disconnected from God, but, but weren't reading the Bible, weren't reading a Christian book, weren't talking to a friend who loves Jesus, weren't spending time in prayer, being honest with God? These are some of the links in the chain. 
What about your zeal for the house of God? Are you regularly worshiping with, with us? Are you serving in this community? Are you giving back to God financially? There are vital pieces of your faith, faith. These are vital pieces of your faith expression. So what might need to be restored in order for you to cultivate gentleness in your life? Because the lack of gentleness is a warning sign of drift. And again, all we need to do to drift is nothing. And lastly, and I'm really grateful for this because anytime it's just in our human nature to kind of make this big list of things that we need to do in order to earn favor with God, this is not the case. What do you need to receive? Perhaps today just getting here or, or joining us online or later listening to this podcast, it was really all that you can muster. I just wanna say, well done. You came to the right place. Just stretch out your hands, breathe deep and receive. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Augustine in his famous confession said this, you have made, your, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We're gonna have a lot of problems in our life, but the first problem to fix is this gap between us and God. And he continues to draw near to us. You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Listen to the restlessness in your life. But know that since the beginning of, of God's relationship with humanity, there's been a tendency for us to want to add and add to the list of requirements to follow God correctly. And certain the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law in Jesus' day did this. And again and again, Jesus invites us to come and sit at his table and share in his blessing. Indeed, the gentle will inherit the earth as Jonathan read, because the proud and self-sufficient will fall away. While those that remain simply receive everything that Jesus has promised. Scripture says more than we can ask or imagine according to his strength. So come friends, let us rest in his gentleness. Let's pray together. God, you are good, you are gentle. Uh, Lord, we are just uh, fractured and scattered people. And so in these moments, uh, I pray that you would help us to come and rest at your table, that you would speak deeply into each of us, that we would listen to our restlessness, that we would listen to our longings and we would find them, uh, every need met uh, in you. And so in these moments, just teach us to worship again, Lord, uh, for your glory. We love you, in your name, amen.